Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So, last Sunday afternoon, um, Andy and Brittany uh, had invited uh, the uh, worship band members and the pastors to their place for a barbecue and a visit and to spend some time talking together about our Sunday morning services. And uh, at the end of, the, of our time together, it was going on four o'clock or so, and uh, April and Alex were uh, gathering up their kids. They brought their kids with them, and, and of course, Andy and Brittany's three girls were there, and they were, they were doing what, what uh, kids do uh, so well, fighting. No, they were playing with each other and uh, enjoying... <laughs> enjoying quality time together. And uh, so as April uh, was rounding up her kids, she made this comment. She said, this was probably Adeline's best day ever. And then she said, every day is Adeline's best day ever. (laughs) It was just kind of a passing comment, but it struck me at the time because, you know, it just, when you love to just live like that, What makes a good day good? Or what makes the best day best? All through this series that we are doing called Stuffed, we've been saying over and over, it's not about the stuff. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the stuff. But if it's not about the stuff, then what is it about? If we concern ourselves too much with stuff, we miss out on what life is really all about. Jesus said, watch out, for your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. But what does life consist of then? And what do we do with all the stuff? What is the purpose of it? And that's what our topic is uh, today. We've been spending quite a bit of time in the gospel accounts and the teachings of Jesus uh, I've been loving that personally, and uh, if you didn't get to hear Josh speak last week on the prodigal, uh, do yourself a, a really big favor and go online and listen to that message. Uh, it was just a tremendous teaching time, so good and so important. So, so do that if you didn't get to, to hear that message. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be challenged and blessed. This week, we're moving forward in the biblical storyline to the time of the, the early church. So Jesus uh, has concluded his teaching and healing ministry. He has laid down his life, suffering and dying, so that you and I could be forgiven and have eternal life. And he has risen from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father, leaving his disciples behind with the great commission that Cass mentioned and the promise the promise of the Holy Spirit. The mission is to take the gospel to the world. But he tells them, first, wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and indwell them and empower them. And we read about the fulfillment of that promise in Acts chapter 2. That is our passage today. And it says there that when the day of Pentecost arrived, there were about 120 followers gathered together in Jerusalem, waiting and praying together 
when suddenly the Spirit came with power. And the text goes on to say there that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And the Holy Spirit gave the disciples a miraculous uh, ability to speak in languages they didn't even know. The languages that were spoken by all those different people groups that were there today being represented from all over the world. And that's when Peter, empowered by the Spirit of God with boldness, preaches that great gospel sermon that's all about Jesus and who he is and what he did. And it says there in Acts chapter 2 that the, uh, those who heard Peter's message that day were cut to the heart. I hope you all know what that means personally. It's a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to the disciples when he said the Holy Spirit will convict. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin. And he will convince of me. That's the kind of uh, conviction that Jesus promised. And it says that 3,000 people responded that day to accept Christ. So that's the context of the scripture we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2. And now I want for us to zoom in on the description that comes at the end of that chapter, which is a cameo of life in the brand new church. It's a thumbnail sketch of what God did in the lives of those people by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So I invite you to read uh, these verses with me and then I'd like to make a few observations. Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's believer's baptism, uh, Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples in my name, in the name of the Father, the Son, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Um, it says, verse 42, and they devote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Will you pray with me this morning, Lord? I thank you for your word and I thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes your word understandable to our hearts. Thank you for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit uh, who shows us our sin, but not only shows us our sin, but shows us you as our Savior and our Lord, the one who always stands ready to forgive and to fill and to use for your glory. Please bless your word to our hearts this morning, Lord. May it accomplish uh, your purpose in our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.
So what is it all about? The first thing that we uh, observe here in these early followers is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which does beg a question. What were the apostles teaching? It's a very important question, but we do not need to speculate about it because we have the record of it. The apostles were promised that the Holy Spirit uh, would come. They were also promised that the Holy Spirit would give them a special ability to remember what Jesus had said and done and that he would lead them into all truth and that he would give them the ability even to foresee future events. The apostles' teaching is the teaching of Jesus through the apostles. And it's what we refer to as the New Testament. Take a look at this with me. We'll go back and just keep your finger in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. But in John chapter 14, take a look at what Jesus said to the apostles there. He says in John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come to mind. Um, then in, over in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says there, when the spirit of truth comes, notice Jesus refers to him as the spirit of truth here, he will guide you into all truth. I think about the letters of the apostles uh, that follow after the uh, gospel accounts and the accounts we have in the book of Acts. All those letters are largely, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're teaching, they're didactic materials, teaching material uh, intended to lead us into the truth. And then in John 16 and verse uh, 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 13 there, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And in my mind, when I read those words, goes to the book of Revelation, as well as other parts, uh, sections of the letters that uh, tell us about future events. And then lastly, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said to them, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see it's all about Jesus, who he is, what he has said and done, and what he will do. If you simply read through the New Testament, you'll see there that it's all about Jesus and the life that we now have in him. It's life in his family, how we live in his family. So when we read in Acts chapter 2 about these 3,000 people, we see 3,000 people convicted by the Holy Spirit about, the, about their sin and but also about the Lordship of Jesus. And they're now forgiven and indwelt by his spirit. And he's given them new life. What does that look like? Well, a vital part of that is their appreciation for, and their recognition of, and their appreciation for the apostles' teaching, which is what? The inspired teachings of Jesus. Now, look at verse 42 with me again, because we want to focus on this today 
a fair amount here. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. In the Greek language, the New Testament is written in the word for fellowship here, and some of you would know this, is the Greek word koinonia. It's a word that's used a lot by the apostles throughout the New Testament. Uh, It's used by them to describe um, what the church is by Christ's design and by the Spirit's power. Sometimes it's the phrase that, that, that you see is the fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, but what is fellowship? What is koinonia? The, the word, it's a significant word, a very significant word. The word means to have in common or to share in and of. Now, how many of you, that's, how many of you knew that already? It's a few of you. It's a really important biblical word. And I would suggest to you, it's used as both a noun and a verb, which is interesting, but I would suggest to you that it appears here as a sort of umbrella term. I'm going to suggest to you that, that what follows after is a description of what that koinonia looked like. So along with understanding what the word meant, uh, to have in common or to share in or, and of, we also get a picture of what it actually looked like in the lives of these uh, first followers of Jesus, this, this brand new uh, church. And, and what, what did we see when we, when we look at it? And what we see is a quality of, of community, uh, relationships, where it's not about stuff, but about people. The Spirit of God, when he comes into your life, gives you life. But life is relational. Life is relationship. There is our relationship with God. We're told here that the people were filled with awe, the awe that came upon every soul, it says, when they were caused to wonder and to to worship, when they saw what God was doing in the lives, the miraculous things that God was doing in the lives of other people. Life is relational and worship is relational. It talks here about them breaking bread together. I love bread. I love food. I love eating. But this is not about that. This is more than that. It says they were eating together. They were breaking bread together. Food is wonderful stuff, bread in particular, but eating alone is not what it's about. It's relational. In fact, I really don't like eating alone. As much as I like food, it feels like it's a chore. It's like, well, I, I, you got to eat, right? You got to eat to stay alive, so you eat. But, but eating together, it talks about prayer. If prayer isn't relational above all things, then, I, then I, I, I don't know what it is. We pray to the Father. Jesus' disciples says, teach us to pray, Lord. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. You know, there's so much even just in those two words, our Father. I remember Doug Campbell, it's good to see Doug and Glenda home from the, from the sunny south. And uh, I remember you preached on the Lord's Prayer back, was that in the spring, uh, maybe something like that? Not too long ago. And uh, just, just such a wonderful passage of scripture to, to, to meditate through and to, and to uh, read and, and think about. But, you know, our Father, 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we, we forgive those who trespass against us. It's, it's all relational. And the koinonia of the church of Jesus is an integration of our relationship with God and with one another. And what, what we have in common as believers, um, most importantly, is Jesus or his spirit, if you will. But because we share Christ, because we share in one spirit, then we share everything. It's like, you know, when you get married and you share a toothbrush, do you share a toothbrush? Not, not intentionally, I'm talking about by mistake, but then it's too late, right? You already got it in your mouth and, you know. Look at verses 44 and verse 45. And all who believed were together and had all things common. Koinonia. And they were, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, there have been clouds of confusion around this passage, along with the description that we read later in Acts chapter 4. Let's just take a quick look at that passage in Acts chapter 4. It was also in the, uh, uh, the uh, scripture uh, advanced reading assignment that we sent out or posted. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 35, you have a similar description. It says there, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were, was his own. They had everything in common. And the great, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, people have mistaken this for communal living or some form of communism where the rights of ownership are taken away or removed, and there's no such thing as personal property or possessions. But the fact that that is not what this is happening here is made clear later in chapter 5 in Peter's words to Ananias and Sapphira. And I quote to you from chapter 5, Peter said to them of the field that they had sold, he said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning the money that you gained from it, was that not yours to do with whatever you had the right to do? So this is not some type of communal purse. Even, even in Acts chapter 2, where we're reading, it says there that they broke bread in their homes. It would be kind of hard to do that if you didn't have a home to break bread in. So we, we get a sense from this then, you know, that this is not this is not that, but what is it? And I want to I want to risk sounding um, I don't know, we use words, right? We, we use them so often after a while they start to, start to lose their meaning. But, but what I want to say to you in the simplest of terms today is what is this that's going on here? I, I don't think you can find a better word than love. It's koinonia. 
it's having in common, it's, it's sharing, but, but, but where did, what's the basis of that? And it's the, the love relationship we have with our Savior that is integrated with the relationships we have with one another. It's, it's, it's love. It's, these people were voluntarily disposing of some of their stuff, downsizing, if you want to call it downsizing, or simplifying their lives, but they were liquidating some of their assets in order to care for other people. And that type of love and care is central to the koinonia, the relationship we have in Christ. Paul says this in Romans chapter five and verse five, he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Listen to those words again. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Over in uh, 1 John, the Apostle John writes these very uh, words. Uh, this is how we know what love is. This is verse 16 and 17 of 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then verse 17 and 18, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? It's about love. It's about loving people. Verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I loved last week when Josh was sharing, he used the term relational wealth. I don't know if I've ever heard it expressed in those terms before. He mentioned that he had heard it. At a, at a, I heard a speaker who was uh, uh, working with um, vulnerable people, people that were living on the streets that used the term and he was talking about rock bottom and how rock bottom is not simply when you expend all your material wealth, but it's the loss of all your relationships. It's all those burned bridges or whatever. And, and I, I thought there's something very profoundly true about that. But we do need to be careful because relational wealth is not, uh, doesn't mean appreciating people for what they can do for you, does it? It's not the, uh, the uh, old I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine mindset that, that Josh referenced that's so common in our world, it's transactional in nature. It's not even worse it's, it's, than that, it's not the it's who you know philosophy. Using people to get ahead. Life is not a competition. It's not about using people to acquire stuff or status. It's about using stuff to love people. It is love. That's, that's what it is. So what does it mean there when it says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own? Just a couple of observations. One, it says no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. So the stuff that you have is yours. God has given it to you. He has allowed you to have it. It is yours just like the field that Ananias and Sapphira sold. It, it's at your discretion. And if you decide to get rid of your stuff or some of your stuff, 
Anything you acquire as a result of that is, is yours to do with as you see fit. The Bible teaches personal property and personal possessions. But it says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one said that because that's not the way they talked. It's like, the, um, it's like in Philippians chapter 2. You know in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, there he says, uh, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. What is that? Uh, you could say it's uh, the new math. Count others more significant than yourselves. Are you less important than anybody else? Tell me you aren't sure. Because preachers are notorious for asking questions that are trick questions, right? This is not a trick question. Are you less important than anybody else? No, you are not. So what is this in Philippians chapter 2? Count yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. It's attitude. In fact, I think the New International Version uses the word attitude in that passage. Have this attitude or this mindset, it says in, in the ESV. Have this mindset. It's an attitude. Uh, in fact, you know, it's not even possible that everybody is le- more important than everybody else. It's not possible for everybody to be more important than everybody else. So how does this work? Well, it's an attitude. You're laughing at me, Shay, but it is impossible. It, but, but, but to have that attitude, I think, think about that for a moment. To have the, the type of attitude that puts others ahead of yourself. It's, it's the new math. It's the what's my, it's the same as the attitude here. It's the what's mine is yours attitude. You don't actually, you don't lose your possessions when you decide to become a follower of Jesus. In fact, you don't lose anything. You gain a whole lot. But what do you do with what God has given you? And what is your attitude about people? And what is your attitude about stuff? It says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were glad and they were generous because those two things go together. I don't think we want to miss this part. They were glad and they were generous. Ask yourself where you think joy comes from. And then as the passage closes out, it it talks about the outreach that they had. And I want to spend a little bit of time, not too much time, but a little bit of time just before we break camp here, uh, talking a little bit about about that. Uh, The last statement, verse 47 says, praising God, that's worship again, uh, that vertical relationship. Um, Praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And then the last statement in the chapter, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, but they were not inward focused. So how does outreach relate to this idea of fellowship? I think it's pretty straightforward if we think it through. Outreach, evangelism, or mission, if you will, involves our love for those who are not family yet. One of the words that's used to translate fellowship or koinonia in New Testament is the word partnership because it has that idea as well. We're together, we share, we share, we share in Christ. We also share a mission that God has given to us. And that mission is to grow the family. To see as many people, to use last week's message as a springboard, to see as many people as possible come home to the Father. That's the mission of the church. Now, if you've read much scripture at all, you probably know that the death of Jesus for our sins occurred at the time of the Feast of Passover. You knew that probably. That's traditionally when the lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people, going all the way back to the night the people of Israel were rescued out of slavery in Egypt and brought into freedom and life, a whole new life in the promised land. And you may know that Christ rose from the dead on the day that's called the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of Pentecost took place seven weeks after that. The word Pentecost means 50th, as in 50 days. That's 49 days in between, which is seven weeks. That's why it sometimes was called the Feast of Weeks. But it was also known as the Feast of Harvest because it coincided with the summer wheat harvest in Israel. And they observed the summer wheat harvest, the Feast of Harvest, by presenting newly harvested grain offerings to the Lord, expressing their thanks and with gladness to him as the Lord of the harvest. Now listen, just as the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, fulfilled the shadows of the Old Testament Passover, what we have been reading today in Acts chapter 2 was a fulfillment shadowed in the Old Testament feast of harvest. Why is that really important? It's important because Jesus spoke about the fields being white unto harvest, but he wasn't talking about fields of grain. He was talking about people because Jesus himself said in, John, in Matthew chapter 13, the field is the world. 
You may recall the woman at the well in John chapter 4 after she meets Jesus and Jesus, she discovers that Jesus is the, the, the Messiah and she's amazed by him and she goes back into the town to tell everybody else about him. And it says there in John chapter 14, it says, meanwhile, or John 4, meanwhile, the disciples who had gone into town to, um, to get supplies came back and they were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, listen to his words. He said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. They had no idea what he was talking about. They said to one another, someone must have brought him something to eat. They didn't understand. And then it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look. And the text says that when Jesus said this, the people, he said it as the people were making their way toward him out of town. Look, the fields are white for harvest. He continued, he said, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. So that the sower and the reaper might rejoice together. So the joy and the gladness. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. You know, when it comes to helping people and saving people, Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. So we, anything we do that helps anybody in any way in their, in their relationship with the Lord, in their lives personally, in their journey, he's already done all, all, of the, all the labor. You and I, he says, others labored and you have entered into their labor. And then just one last part before we just end with the last verse of Acts chapter 2 there. Uh, it says in John chapter 4, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that indeed this is the savior of the world. Acts chapter 2 verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I know that to talk about a harvest of souls sounds pretty antiquated in our day, doesn't it? For lots of reasons. One reason is because we live in a post-Christian era. But another reason is we're so far removed from the agrarian culture that Jesus is speaking in here or here or that we're reading about here, we're so far removed from it, we, we can't even really, it just, it just goes by us. Like a harvest of souls, what is that? I wonder maybe if tomorrow we get up and went and drove into the grocery store and found all of the shelves completely bare, maybe we would start to appreciate what's being said in these passages. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you, don't, that you know not of. To finish the work the Father's given me to do. The only reason that God cares 
at all about wheat is that he cares about us. What do we do with all this stuff? First thing we need to do is acknowledge that it all comes from him. James chapter one, every good gift is from above. But then we need to learn to love people with it. Why does God give you stuff? Well, according to, to this, he, this word here, he gives us out of love. His good gifts are out of, out of his love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We need to learn to love others. We need to care about people and their needs. We need to use the stuff to accomplish the mission that he's given us to love people well. Whether it whether we're talking about starvation or deprivation or whether we're talking about death and hell because people need eternal life more than they need anything. They need to become part of the family. They need to come home to the Father. So medical missions is a part of that, right? Jesus talked about laying up treasures in heaven. But you, but you can't take stuff to heaven. You can't take it with you. It's like what, like what Job said. Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave it. The only thing that you and I can take with us when we leave this world and take to heaven, if you will, is the only thing that matters. And that's people. And that's our mission. Together. If we understand it, and if we realize it, and if we engage in that mission together, What's the value of one soul? How much does it value to, how much does God value you and I? We've been learning about that, right? But how much does he value the people around you, the people in your, in your life, the people, the people that are down and out and homeless, the people who are struggling to give birth, He cares infinitely about that, about us. And uh, that's the mission we need to engage in together. I'm going to ask the band to come.